Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of the Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today we have on Patrice Poulter, who is, if you're watching right now, is already recording uh, the recording <laughs> because she's a video person, as we're going to hear all about her because she is the founder CEO of Patrice Poulter Creative. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here, and I'm so yeah. excited for our audience to hear all about you and your journey and what you do. So let's start there and say, how did you get here? Oh my God. <laughs> Let me give you the cliff notes. Otherwise we're, uh, we're going to be going through a, a couple, we need some bottles of wine, but um, I'll say like cliff notes. I'm a late, I am a self-proclaimed late bloomer. Um, you know, I'm from the Midwest and I feel like in the Midwest, you know, you, you, things are done a certain way. You're on a certain path. You go to high school, you go to college, you maybe meet like your college sweetheart, you graduate from college, you maybe move to like the big city in the Midwest, you know, and you're you're pregnant and you're married and you're engaged all before the age 30. And maybe you're on like your first or second or third promotion at whatever job you have. Right. That was sort of the, the plan that, you know, I saw around me and it's just what a lot of people do. And I'm maybe I'm overgeneralizing it. That's not always the case. But for me, I just felt like that kind of possibility of maybe doing other things like wasn't necessarily there. So grew up in that way. And this is not this kind of a cliche, but my twenties were horrible. Like for anyone who's listening, that's in their twenties. Like I swear to God, it gets better. I was so incredibly lost in my twenties because when I did graduate from college, I was just, what is going on here? I was so woefully ill-equipped to, I didn't understand. I'm like, wait, I need to get a job. Like this sounds so basic, but I just did not have that like path. And so everyone was getting these jobs. And I remember being, I sold books door to door for three years all over the country. And let me tell you, nothing says you're lost. Like selling books, not Bibles or anything, but like educational books, pure hundred percent commission, I was in Florida, I was in Texas, I was in California. And I did that for years because I was just that lost where I'm like, God, you could have been that person knocking on somebody's door. That's like, pretend we're not home. <laughs> oh no, I was like, I was literally like, who's the weird girl with like the backpack, like walking through our neighborhoods. The first year I didn't even have a car. So I was like biking everywhere. It's insanity. I, I look back. I'm like, I can't even believe I did that. So oh my God. I, What's a good story though. <laughs> I did that for years and this is, and I'll make this short, but my last city I was selling in right a town outside of LA and I remember I sold, I was, I got to be really good at it. Like I literally could sell like my entire book bag of books and my, you know, you start to get into a groove and you start really kind of, it becomes a numbers game. And so my last year selling, 
I remember I sold to someone in television and he was in LA and he's like, I don't, and his wife was a big anchor for one of the big news stations in LA. And she goes, why, you know, you should like, you should be, yeah, you're so great at talking. Like you should be on TV. And at that point I was like, I'm too old. I'm 23. You know I mean? It's yeah. so ridiculous. Like 12, 20, I would have had to have known I wanted to do that. So long story short, I ended up going back home to Chicago and I fell and I got this internship at a local station. And um, that was kind of my first foray into like, maybe I'll be a broadcast journalist. And that did not go as planned, you know, and I did that. And like, I ended up getting this weird, like public access job. It was called the nude hippo, your Chicago show. I will wrap this up. But like, (laughs) my point is like my twenties were just a scatterbrain of weird decisions and feeling very behind, you know, and this is before even social social media was around, but not how it was now. And just thinking like, I'm already a failure and I'm only 25. Like I remember having that very specific thought on my 25th birthday in Chicago, looking at friends that were like, in my mind, doing all these great things. And I was a host of a public access show called Nude Hippo that didn't pay me a dollar. And I was trying to get like a job at local television stations and I could not get hired to save my life. Like I... It was like disconnect, you know, I'm like, but I've been at Star Trek conventions and I'm reporting on all these things and these stations would be like, you don't fit in anywhere. And so I kind of just had this narrative, constant narrative in my 20s that like, I don't fit in and I'm already behind. Yeah. So I don't know, like that's, I feel like that is. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure because you go, you know, when you go to college, even like you declare your major and it's like, okay, well, I don't know what I want to do. So I'm going to do poli sci, but I don't want to be a politician or a history or a professor. Like, you know what I mean? It's like all these things that then they seem so heavy and weighted looking back, of course, we're like, oh, okay, it's not, but I can imagine. And I, like you telling this, I now am like, re, you know, think like thinking about me in that age too. When I was like, oh my God, you're right. It was like, it's so much pressure. So much pressure that we put, and we still do. I, I think now the difference is there's actually so many more amazing opportunities yeah. to do things in your 20s, where at that time, you know, you weren't like starting businesses online or you weren't, yeah. you know, you, the entrepreneurship was reserved for people that were much older and had and a rich. And rich, and you had to come from a family and you had, a, you know, you had lemonade stands and you knew that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So that was just, that was by the way, anybody listening, this is not like the 1920s. We're talking about the 90s and 2000s, okay? <laughs> this is all pre-Apple, pre-iPhone, basically, which really turned everything around, which was only in 2008. That's only- Yeah, right around this time. Yes, it was yeah. right around this time. So to kind of like bring you up to speed. So I spent a lot of my 20s like very angsty and, you know, and look, I recognize like I got to live at home, you know, so I get that there was like baked, not everyone's option, but, you know, I was living at home though, like in my, which is common now, but, you know, at the time, you know, 25, 26, I'm like, I'm still living at my house and, you know, people were getting engaged. I remember like engagement and I was like, oh, engaged, I don't even have a normal job. Like, How are people getting engaged? I wasn't even like yeah. about that. So, oh my God. So anyway, I ended up after like, you know, job rejection 200 at a local, I was like in local Missouri at like station 200. 
And this, I'll never forget it. This news director goes to me, hey, he goes, I'm going to show you something. And I said, okay. He goes, I'm going to show you who I just hired. And I go, okay. Mm-hmm. He goes, I'm going to put your video reel up and I'm going to put up the girl who I just hired. I'm going to put up her video reel. And I want you to just notice some things. And so she put my video reel up, which was, I was the host of a show called the nude hippo, your Chicago show. I wasn't reporting on like hard news. You know, I was doing like kind of silly, fun stuff and it reflected that. And then he put up this woman who was reporting outside the white house. And we were like probably the same age. And she goes, he goes, that's who I hired. He goes, you know, you are very messy. He goes, you need to like refine yourself. You need to like get yourself in shape. Like I could not hire you. And and that sounds harsh. And it was, I was devastated when I left that meeting. I mean, I talk about feeling just low and then actually seeing it on a big screen in front of you, someone being like, you know, the messaging is like, you're just not good enough. But I remember he said to me, he goes, you know, there's a one-year program because you you live in Chicago. He goes, there's a one-year program at Northwestern. Why don't you try to apply to that and see Mm -hmm. if maybe you can just get a little bit more refined in your journalism skills? And I had nothing to lose. And so I applied and I got in. And that program, and I'm usually not a big advocate of like, I'm not into grad school. I don't think you need to go to grad school to learn. But it was never on my list. I never was going, ever wanted to go to grad school. But it was just one year, you know, it wasn't, it was not, it was an atypical program. And I could live at home and I got in, I commuted. And that program really kind of changed everything. Cause it was right around 2008, 2009. Yeah. Like all that stuff was starting to come. And so I learned how to shoot video and I learned how to edit and I learned how to make a website and I learned all these technical skills. Wow. That's such a, like that, a timing thing too. Yeah. 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 And that opened the door, the technical skills, not even the fact that like, you know, I went to Northwestern, but also the, it was the grant, it wasn't Kellogg's like, you know, there's, there's different hierarchies of like, yeah. you know, how, like, so that opened the door for me to get me on the path to actually getting into media. And, but I was almost 30, like I was again, like late bloomer, you know, I was interning at 30. So it was just this whole world where I just felt like, what did I do for 10? Did I just waste my whole twenties? Yeah. So yeah, it's the story that I've only recently have broken, but I've carried it around for a lot of years of like, I'm late, I'm too late. You know, I'm but you're not to this. You're not. You're right where you're no. supposed to be. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah so some that- people get into things and they, they feel like stuck for the rest of their life, you know? I've had women on here whose stories are like, I was a CEO of a company. I'd never been, you know, which was like my total goal and by 40, and I'd never been more miserable in my life. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. So and your journey is your journey, right? Your journey is your journey, and it's it's hard to see that like when you're in it. But but then, yeah, it's it's like anything. Like your friend you just said with your CEO, like you know, I got in this world, and I also felt incredibly lost because I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, do I am I trying to be like I don't know, like Katie Kurt? You know, I didn't even know like what I was really. But because I could technical, I swear to God, technical skills was my saving grace for getting moving very quickly in the industry. So what did you do after that? So you went to Northwestern and then? Went to Northwestern. And then I ended up getting an internship in London at CNN.com. Oh, amazing. 
So I worked at the digital side of CNN and I like at the time that was like digital, you know, digital was, oh, this is television. This is like, you know, we do not hang out with digital people. Like it, we were very like lower then, but that's kind of where the industry, as we know now, that's where everything was headed. And so I got to, when I was at CNN, I was one of the only people that could like take up a video camera and go in the field and like shoot and edit. I could like on my, on a computer and like turn around like a reporter stuff in like an hour. So I became like this, uh, all the cool people wanted me to come on their stuff because they knew that I could turn around like a piece yeah. for them on the website. Yeah. So that, again, that kind of exposed me to like people that were like, oh, wow. So from there, I ended up moving to New York um, without a job, by the way, but I ended up getting an overnight job at Bloomberg television. It was a, it was a horrible, but I ended up working um, the Asian markets um, and I produced for um, Bloomberg Television for a year. But again, I got in because of like, oh, she has, I'm like, I had no experience in yeah. business or anything or writing business reporting, but they just were like, oh, we can teach you how to do that. But yeah. we can't really teach you as quickly how to edit and yeah. all that stuff. So there is so much value for actually, I think, investing and technical elements of your vertical or profession, even if you don't think that you would want to know it, that is how I got in. And that's how yeah. I, I mean, there, there's a way to do It's like, you need to know enough, you know what I mean? And also you need to know enough to know if you end up hiring somebody to do it, that if they're doing a good job or not, you know, that's a little, that's a part of it. Totally, totally. And I think at the time, thankfully, now it's a different era now. Like now everyone like you come out of like the womb, like knowing how to edit, you know, oh, yeah. like, my, my daughter can do things. Um, she can make a video, a short film, um, you know, in 10 minutes. And I had friends who went to NYU film school and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it took them six months to do the same thing. <laughs> I know, I know. I would be a goner now. Like if this were if this were me now, I would be like, oh my god! Like everyone's professional editors now. But at that time, the barrier to wow, of course editing, you couldn't do it on your phone. You needed to know Final yeah. Cut Pro. You needed to know, you know, exactly. All these, exactly. So, by um, no means am I saying my daughter can do what you do at all. But no, I she probably laugh when she's like, oh, I may I have her do like video like reels. I'm like, can you just do this? Boop, 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 boop. YouTube short. She took over my YouTube channel. I don't even know how. And it says her name. She has all these shorts yeah, on it. Exactly. Exactly. Way, so, people are listening. She's 10. Oh, yeah. So, all right. So then you got to Bloomberg. And then, and then where'd you go? Yeah. So I was at Bloomberg TV for one year. It was horrible. But like any horrible experience, I'm still friends with, like, because when you're in the trenches like that, you yeah. know, what? I mean, my hours were, I had to be at work at 2 a.m., you know? And so it's like, I'm in New York New- City too. And you're like 30, like no way. Yeah, I was like, I wasn't quite 30 yet. I was like 20, I was like in my late 20s, but like still, yeah, I'm in New York in my late 20s. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So also just, just, just disaster. It was the whole company was so, it was insane. So I did that for a year and I eventually getting, I got laid off. Like everyone got laid off there. You know, it was sort wow. of one of those job experiences where, you know, I didn't realize this at the time, but you'd come in and there'd be like missing people. And I remember the first like month or so, I'd be like, like, where's Ted or something? Mm-hmm. Is he on vacation? And they're like, no. 
Ted, Ted is not with us anymore. I mean, they just, it was, you know, they just got rid of people. People were very um, disposable there. And so I, I always sort of knew that, you know, I knew that I, it was just a matter of time. So that time came and I got laid off. And then I was in that point where I'm sure a lot of people are now, right? Where you're out of a job and you need to find a job. And so I hit the pavement, like my book selling days. And I ended up getting um, a job, which was my precursor to the, I was at the Today Show for most of my media years. But right before the Today Show, I got in a job, which is ironic. I'm still, he's still my mentor to this day. He's not in the media anymore, but he was, he had a unit at NBC. Again, he was ahead of his time where this is when brands doing cool video was not a thing. Yeah. Commercials or you were editorial. You didn't, there was like, like Dollar Shave Club really when that video came out. Do you you remember that video? The Dollar Shave Club? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That video honestly was revolutionary. And the unit that I was in my guy, my boss was genius. He would go to the ad team at NBC at Today Show. He's like, give me 50 grand. Give me a hundred grand for your brand that you just sold, you know, billions of airtime to or the plaza. Give me some of that money and my team will go make you really cool content and we'll put it on the website of today.com. And no one knew what we were doing, but he hired me and he he tells me this to this day. He goes, you are so underqualified. He goes like... You just were sort of raw and like, I, you were not what I was looking for at all. Yeah. He goes, but I interviewed you because you came through someone, but he goes, when you somehow, he started asking me about my past and book selling got brought up. He goes, as soon as I heard that you sold books for three years, for commission. In my brain, the job was filled by you. He goes, yeah. because he goes to him, he goes, you know what, if you can sell books, he goes and like yeah. get rejected and slam doors. He goes, I can teach you how to like produce a TV, a, a produce a video segment. Yeah. So again, like twist and turns. Where well, you had that hustle and grit and, you know, all the things that people want in an employee, right? I guess. Yeah. I just, I didn't want to go back to Chicago. Right. So I yeah. think that even that underlying motivation of you know, I, my family wasn't funding my, you know, me living yeah. in New York. So it was very much like making it work. So yeah. So anyway, got into NBC and then through that, I then ended up getting hired at the Today Show. And that is where I spent the majority of my years at NBC up until about 2016. Um, when I left, I got recruited by Sorry, should I stop here? I feel like I'm going. Do you want me to pause or like a re? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, I keep jumping in, but it's like, what were you doing at the Today Show? What was the job there? Um, so the Today Show it was is a hybrid. So a lot of traditional reporting. So I would work with their talent. So you name an anchor or you a producer, yeah. and I'd be assigned a story. They'd be like, "Hey, Patrice, go out with so and so, and this is the story that you guys are doing." And as a producer. I was responsible for making sure the story all came together. So I would usually be responsible for if we were doing a story on a makeup brand and yeah. we were interviewing the, the CEO and we were visiting the facilities and a cool story about how they give back to the community. I'm making this up. Yeah. Then I would have to, you know, I'd schedule all the interviews and I would make sure that we had um, a crew. Sometimes I would even be shooting the interviews 
And then we would, I'd coordinate with the reporter and then make sure the reporter knew what the story was. I would write all the questions. I would draft everything and then go to the shoot. The reporter then would handle the interview. And then after that, you leave. And then I have to make sure that that story comes together. So then right. I would have to get all the footage and the video. Yeah. And then I would have to think about, then I'd write a script. So I'd have to write a script with all the sound. I'd have to listen to the interviews, pick out the best sound, string together a story, and then work with my editor. And, and that's how, and then it goes through lots of layers of approval. So mostly that was my job. I was in yeah. the field a lot. But yeah. then because I shoot and I edit, I ended up doing a lot of work for .com when they first started coming out and they needed content and I volunteered. I'm like, I'll make content. It's my content. It was like stuff that they'll just, they just took from me. And so, um, you know, look, you, as you know, being, I mean, I know you run your own thing now, but corporate America is like, it's, you gotta, I think sometimes you think you get in a job and it's like, I'm good, but it is, if you want have certain experiences or you want to do things like no one's like giving you that. Yeah. So I well, very, was, you know, we can talk about somebody being an entrepreneur all we want, but it's like, they, they like to do the way things, the way that they like to do them. And it's like, it's very tough to get creative or get your ideas heard or things, oh, like, you know? Yeah. And I'm not very good at the, it's part of the reason why I don't work for, I'm just the whole politics thing. Yeah. I've just never had a filter. It's a blessing. It's a curse. And so it can be a blessing if you have a boss that is your advocate, but if you don't have a boss that cares for you, quite frankly, it, I mean, I can't, it's I almost got fired so many times because yeah. it's constantly at HR one year with a certain boss. Cause it was like, She's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, but why? Like, this is just, why? You know, it's, it's, it's corporate America was hard. It was hard for me, Um, you know, unless you have to have the right allies. And so yeah. anyway, it's funny. The Today Show was a, it was a dreamy place. It was, it was yeah. like, but it was just dreamy enough to like keep people there. But at the end of the day, like you're being told what story to tell. If yeah. you didn't want to do a certain story, sorry, like people were lined up for your job. So there were, you know, the hours, breaking news, like, you know, I was there on Sandy Hook. It's like some stuff that is stays with you forever. Yeah. Um, I'm a crier. So like, I also was never very good at like, if I had to do breaking news and I had to be responsible for like interviewing people at some of the lowest times in their life. I mean, I would end up sobbing with them. And like, it was so hard. I could never fully, I could never separate the human side of it with sometimes having to do my job. Yeah. And so it's this amazing experience because, you know, and I'm not even saying this because I know your background, but there was one time, you know, I was, I worked Friday nights a lot and Saturday night live does all their rehearsals. And so, you know, I, you have to, I remember there's one time where I was waiting for the, I was going to edit and the freight elevator open. And this is like, I swear on my three children, Jay-Z was standing in the middle of the freight elevator just by himself, like no one around him. And it's like the door opened and I'm staring at him and he just sort of like nodded because he knew I was probably thinking, is that, is that Jay? It's like, no, yeah. I was and then, but like, that was just life working at the Today Show. Like you never knew who was in the halls and like, right. you know, I did a story with Usher once and I had to yell at him because he made me miss a, a, a live segment and his wife or his girlfriend at the time who was pregnant, I was also pregnant and she was so mad at Usher and she's like, you're going to apologize to Patrice, like just weird <laughs> stories like that, that you cannot yeah. make up. 
Yeah. Because oh, no, I know. I have many. You know. Yeah, you know. exactly. Right? All right. So you left the Today Show in 2016. And then when did you start, Patrice, uh, your create this, this company now? Yeah. So I did not leave to go start a business. Um, when I was pregnant with my second kid, I have three now, but my maternity leave, I got recruited from for this media startup. And by the way, when you're pregnant, like you don't get recruited for anything, much yeah, less exactly. like a job that was like doubling my salary. I mean, it was bizarre. I was like, what's going on here? This guy followed me on Snapchat. I'm not joking you. He's like, this sounds so, he reached out to me on LinkedIn. He goes, this is so weird. He goes, I follow you on Snapchat. He goes, I think you need to like lead my video team. He goes, I, I need you in some way. Like, can you come and meet me? And I'm like, I had a baby like four days ago. <laughs> And he goes, I don't care. And so I would meet him and the team. And it got to a point where they're like, we want you. And I remember I called my boss on maternity leave because it's a small world. Like, I don't want to burn bridges. And I just said to my boss, I go, this is what's happening. He's like, go. (laughs) He's like, go for it. Like, yeah go learn digital things and like, please, he goes, we cannot match that. And like, go, go get out of here. He's like, go, go get out. So with his blessing, um, I went to this dream job and it was a nightmare. It was one of those like life changing, soul crushing experiences where, you know, I was mom of newborn and a toddler and it was just not what it was sold to be. And the company's still around, but like it was, it was really bad. And so, and I found out years later how bad it was for a lot of women. And so I just, I couldn't, I, I was 120 days after like the Today Show threw me a going away party, I was, I was without a job again. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in that moment, like I mean, my soul, my esteem was just so shat. It's amazing how fast, how not yeah. a lot of time, you know, I mean, like four months prior, I was like at the top of my game. And like, I had just won this big recording award for the company was flown to LA with like all the cool kids that I was not cool. Like, you know, amazing. And then four months later, like a shell, like just a shell of a person. And so that point I was at a big crossroads, you know, I was in New York, I had a baby and a toddler. My husband had taken a career risk himself nine months prior. So we were not stable. You know, I I had the health insurance. It was just, my husband is like, I need you. Like, I need you to get up, like, because we like, we need you. And so at the time I said, you know what, I am, I'm going to go back and get a job in the media, but I don't have confidence and I need to build that up. So I'm going to try to like, I don't know, take a project. And that's how it kind of happened because I could shoot and edit video and I knew how to write a video script. I ended up doing um, the homepage video for a friend's vitamin brand company that he started and he's like, do you want to do my video? I was like, sure. <laughs> like, I like, not really, but sure. And here, you know, life, and here we go. And then I did his video. And and what was interesting at the market in that time, this is around 2017, that video at that time was still like kind of a nice to have, not a need to have. Yeah. But it was starting change because like, BuzzFeed and all these places were just like video, video, video. And so all of a sudden, all these brands are like, oh, we need video. We need video. We need video. So in a weird way, when I started doing these freelance video projects, I got business because it was just starting to become like, oh, actually, I do need video for social media and I do need video for to sell my product. 
And so that's how it started, like my yeah. company. And then everything went to hell again. My business shut down during COVID. So I had to reinvent again. So that's how I started the business. Not because I had Let's some talk about that, though. Let's talk about the reinvention part, because I think that's what's so interesting is like you have put your soul out there on, uh, you know, on the gram, on the on the talk, all the places um, yeah. and talking about what you did and how you turned it around, because that's one of the hardest things. I think for people to do and women in particular, it's like, it's hard enough to start your own company. It's hard enough to, you know, get people to support you. And then on top of it, like when shit goes down, it's hard to get back up. Yep. 100%. And you know what, before the pandemic, first of all, there's all these also, I think I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I never thought I was going to be. So it wasn't like I had this notion of like entrepreneurs make a lot of money. They're their own bosses, like all these glamorous things. And my experience in that first two years, it it was so freaking hard. I was running around from video shoot to video shoot. I was making way less money, Mm -hmm. way less money than I was during my last startup job. And I'm like, what am I doing? Because, you know, especially production, I had to pay out. I wasn't at some point I couldn't keep shooting, editing, finding the business. Yeah. dumb. So I actually, I had to have contractors. So every time you would have a video project, my margins are cut in half and then cut in half again. So in order to even really have like a pretty decent living and I'm living in New York city, like it was so hard and I was dying. And I was like, this is not what I want to do with my life. Like running around with like a tripod and like light equipment. I have a baby. I have a toddler. I'm never home. It was almost like, I can't even explain it. I felt very like disillusioned probably because I didn't want that life anyway. And then when I kind of was in it, I'm like, this is crazy. People that are like, entrepreneurship is so awesome. I'm like, this is horrible. Right. So I had all these thoughts already. I said to my husband, I'm like, I have to go back to corporate. And he goes, no. He goes, he like believed in me so much. He's just like, please give yourself like just give yourself six more months. He goes, I just feel like you don't, you haven't scratched it yet. And like, I know we're in a tough spot right now financially. We really were like, because I just feel like you need to give yourself more time. And so then, so right before that, I kind of like, I need to figure out how to make more money and I'm not going to make more money just eating what I kill. All yeah. the time. I can't. All right. And I feel like so silly for saying this, but I did not know you could make money online until 2020. I did not know that people sold products and courses. Like if you were a product or a shop, sure. Yeah. But as a service-based entrepreneur, yeah, I did not know that like there was other things. I didn't know people had courses and programs like the Amy Porterfields. And look, I'm just using that as a name because like everyone knows her, but I didn't know that that world existed. Yeah. And I remember I met someone once and she goes to me, why aren't you selling like a video boot camp online? I go, what are you talking about? I'm not a teacher. I don't even know what you're talking about and how sell to who? Yeah. And she goes, oh, you're, she goes, you don't even know what she literally was like, you're, you're leaving so much. You don't even know. She made, she, and, she told me it's all you people from the coast, all you New York people, all you city people, you guys are so late to this game. And I did not know what she meant. I was like, what are you talking about? She's from Georgia, small town in Georgia. She goes, people like myself who did not have jobs at the Today yeah. Show or she goes, I don't have access 
She yeah. goes, my access is I knew for a long time ago that if I wanted to get outside my circle, I need to get on the internet. And so this chick was making seven figures. I still know her. She is so extraordinarily successful and has started multiple companies now. But she exposed me to this. I felt like I lifted under a rock and she showed me under this rock and there's like millions of ants. She's like, she brought me into this world. She's like, this is what we're doing over here. Like you guys are in your corporate jobs in New York. And it's awesome because I want to live in New York and I can't. But you know what? I do this. Well, sounds like she can now. <laughs> she can. She's here all the time now. It's so funny. She, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. She actually was going to try. She almost lived here last summer. So with her kids, but she didn't. But anyway, she changed my life, this woman. Um, And she taught me. Just, she just taught me. She's like, here's how you do it. Like, you know, this is what you do. And I, and right. And she taught me how to do like a, what a zoom boot camp even was. I'd never heard that in my life. I didn't have a zoom account. She taught me how to do that. She taught me how to sell it. And I learned how to do that. And then the pandemic hit and my whole business shut down, but I now have this skill set. I already had like my Stripe account up. I already had like you know, the weird thing, the sales page for my boot camp up. Yeah. She taught me how to do all of it. Yeah. And so I remember the first boot camp I ran was about how to tell video stories if you don't if you don't know how to use video. A video yeah. was like not your friend. It was four weeks. I charged $347. I'll never forget. And I sold eight. And I you would have thought I was a millionaire. I was like, I just sold to eight strangers on the internet, people that want to like learn video and it, that changed my whole business. It opened up my whole possibility for how I actually could do what I wasn't supposed to be running around to video shoots, project managing, like that's not my zone of genius. I was like failing at it, but the storytelling and the getting to the heart of someone's story and to help them like say it in a way that connects to their people. That's what I was good at at the Today Show, like telling really great stories that moved people. And now I'm doing that and I learned, but it's a lot of it is through my online but yeah. that changed everything. I still do production. Like I just had to shoot this week. So, but that's sort of like an addition. So what do you do now? What, like when you do stuff online, what is it exactly? Yeah, it's a combination. So, um, y- you know, I help founders tap into their own stories in order to have impact in their business. And I teach people how to use their own backstory. A founder's backstory is the singular most important story that they have in their arsenal. And so many founders don't utilize it. And they don't utilize it. Number one, it's really hard to look at yourself objectively. Number two, it's hard to tell your own story because you often don't know what is good. I say good in quotes, like what is impactful, what's not, what's inspiring, what's too much, what's not enough. So it's hard to have that perspective. But I know from when I used to sit in that producer chair at the Today Show where that's the whole business is telling stories. That's how we made decisions. It's like, who is the, okay, great. That's the story. But what about the person who started it? Are they, do they have a good backstory? Like, is that, is that going to inspire the audience? Is that going to make the audience, our audience be like, to, to take action in their life? 
the answer was yes, then we would pick like that story over even another pitch that was maybe perfect. Yeah. Lacked a heart and soul. And the heart and soul is always the founder of a business. And I feel like the work that I do is, is, is that I help founders tap into that power. And then I also help them tell their story in a way that's good for business because we're not doing dear. I'm not, you know, this is not dear diary. We're not doing like Netflix documentaries, although so many founders have Netflix documentary worthy stories. But what I find is, is that when founders kind of own their story and they realize the dots, how all the dots connect to maybe what they're doing now, something switches and all of a sudden whatever fear they had before of maybe opening their mouth or putting themselves out there for that speaker opportunity or that award, or I don't want to go online and say anything because I don't know what to say, or people are going to judge me. I find that when people finally feel great about their story and they have that kick-ass about page or they have that great video on their website, like things happen. Like, yeah. Open what about, so how do you do that though? How do you teach that to them? Like in what way is it zoom? Like, you know, everybody hears about teachable or Kajabi. Yeah. Or, yeah, like, yeah. So there's, a, there's a few ways. Um, so I have, a, I have like my main vehicle is I have um an intimate group program called the founders fire and I run it twice a year. And it is like, we go real deep. We write your story together. We discover what it is. We figure out which audiences would appreciate different parts of the story. We write it for video. I have like, you know, my Today Show bestie who's still there. She comes in and then she helps everyone get their story into like perfect shape. And then my video team comes. We teach everyone how to shoot video on their phone, how to like do it great. And then they give my team all the elements and my team edit. So you get this professional video, but you've written and you've done the work and that's the magic. So that's one way I run workshops all the time. So like next week I'm running a workshop with um, founders who can't sell their courses, can't fill their memberships, but they're good at what they do. But there's something, there's a disconnect between why can't I sell this service or this ebook or whatever at my coaching? Why isn't it selling? When nine times out of 10, it's a messaging and a positioning problem. And the yeah. founder typically isn't showing up and telling their audience why they're the one that they need. So I run workshops, I run programs. Um, I also come into companies. I do a lot of strategy still on video and like what they should be thinking about. Like a lot of companies are like, we need to get our founder out more. What should we do? But we don't know how. So lots of different ways, but that's my main vehicle is like, yeah. yeah. All but via zoom. That's your like thing of choice. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom. I mean, cause yeah. the pandemic, I started this in the pandemic. So everyone was on. Zoom. Right. No, I'm just talking about because yeah. it's an online course. Like I said, there's some that you can just do when you listen to somebody and there's no interaction. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, all no, and, different kinds. I know. And here's the other thing, too. I feel like, you know, this whole course world is such a there's a lot of like shadiness in it. But I think there's this notion of like passive income, right? You hear this phrase, oh, I'm going to make a digital course and I'm just going to put it on my website and I'm going to wake up and there's going to be so much money in my bank account. And I think at one point that might have been the case for certain people that were first to bat, right? You get yeah. first to bat that. Yeah, the, you, you kind of like got in on, on that. People don't want that. And I've actually changed my strategy. So last year, I because my founder fire program, because it's like 
coaching and business and video. It's so much. It's higher ticket. Not everyone is ready for that. Not everyone can afford that. So I'm like, you know what, what can I create that is a lower price point and I will have a just, you know, a founder's fire light. Yeah. But the more research I did, I never made it and I never went through with it because that is not what people want. People are coursed out. People don't want to just buy. I don't care if it's $97 or if it's $37, you buy this stuff and it sits in your inbox or a folder. You never open it. And maybe you do a module or two and then you never complete it. And I'm not interested in that. Like, I don't, it's like, that's not, you know, so I am now like my whole business is about access and like, we're doing this together and we're going to teach you how to tell a story. Like I I know how to tell a story just from all my years of being in media. Like you, your story didn't make error if it wasn't a great story. Yeah. So all of that stuff, I'm realizing that like people want, people want to feel heard. People want to feel seen. They don't want to just like, for the most part, I'm generalizing, but it's really hard to just kind of make a course these days and slap it up and think that that is going to make you money while you sleep. And I think, I think a lot of people have that like thought process. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, 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 it's true. And I think, you know, and, you know, you get served all these ads all the time. It's like, let me tell you how I did this. And I was living in my mom's basement and now I make $10 million a year. And you're like, and you can hear Amy Borderfield's story, but I like know. took her like eight, 10 years. Like this was not overnight. And she is a decade in the, and that's why Amy yeah. is like, she is the OG. She's been doing this for 10 years, but the problem is, and actually, and she worked happened. for Tony Robbins before that. So she'd been doing that for a lot longer. She's like for herself. So thank you. That's the thank story you. that people are not hearing is that she was in it for a long time. Exactly. You know? And the other thing too is, which I, I always tell people, like, if you're going to invest your money, I always ask them, ask if this person is a primary source. This is like my journalism is a primary source or a secondary source. And what do I mean by that? Um, I teach storytelling. I teach people how to write stories. I teach people how to make video. I am a primary source. I have been hired to actually do that for real for a reputable company in the past. But what happens in this online world is people are good at maybe building their audience or maybe they're really good at Instagram or maybe they're really good at like figuring out. So they're all of a sudden. uh, So all of a sudden they have a large audience. So I mean, even just today, someone I've had like four messages like, hey, did you see so and so is teaching a camera confidence course? And she was one of my students. She couldn't. Now now she's teaching. And honestly, I don't care. I'm like, I don't care. Like, sure. But she's probably not a primary source because yes, she did it for herself because she got coaching and help. But then to actually go out and teach, like that's, that's what happens a lot now is you have people that take Amy Porterfield's course, then turn around and say, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to make a course, but it's just using (laughs) Amy's IP. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Amazing. So it's, yeah. I mean, amazing, I, but not amazing. But yeah. So there's a lot like, you know, yeah, you should do the research. You should look on their LinkedIn. Like, what have they ever done? I see a lot of people giving advice on what you should do in finances. And they're like 23 years old. And there's nothing wrong with being 23 years old. But no. like, but you, if you can tell you've done it, then why are you listening to them? I know. Yeah. I know. It's, um, yeah, it's yeah. like, so you gotta, you gotta look for the legitimacy. Anyway, uh, we have to wrap up. Unfortunately, this okay. is oh awesome. God, we can talk for 12 hours. I know. I know. <laughs> 
We will over wine. Um, uh, there you go. Um, this was awesome. I mean, usually I act like what things you did right, what things you did wrong. You like have so much of it in there already that it was like it's all woven through this entire podcast, which I love. But the one thing I do ask at the end of every one of these is what is the worst advice you've ever received? Oh my God. I mean, you know, when you're in that media world, especially as, as a woman, I feel like I came about around Britney, you know, being like the Britney Spears, like Paris Hilton year is like the worst time. Like, it's like, you know, all that like feminine talks anyway, just, you have to be like two, like five pounds. So I feel like even like how I came, came up in that world was a really interesting time in media. It wasn't as like, I think sensitive as it is now and aware. I mean, we have a lot of work to do. So that being said, being in that media world, you're given so much horrible, horrible advice by like all older dudes that like, what are you talking about? But I, if I have to actually pull out and say what is, it's not actually the worst advice I've ever received. It's the advice I never received. And now that I'm in entrepreneurship and I am in my own thing, why isn't, I was never given this possibility. I was never, I didn't think this was a possibility. Like I thought, you know, you had to have that certain path and you had to have a job and corporate and claw your way to the top and have a boss and all that stuff. And I think that if I had more um, people telling me younger that maybe it's changed now with the way the world is with social media, but that is the advice I wish I would have received earlier is actually take a bet on yourself you know, like you have everything that you need, you know, you, you don't, you don't need to have someone be telling you all the time what to do. Like your ideas are valid. Like your ideas are worthy of attention. And no one ever said that to me. And now I believe that, but it's taken me, you know, three kids and a lot of angst and struggle to realize that. So I think the advice I wish I would have received is take a bet on yourself. And it doesn't mean throw everything to the wind and quit your job and like, you know, eat ramen. (laughs) <laughs> sure. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But I, I think we, I, I, you know, I try to do it to my own kids now. It's like this, this notion of like, you know, you, like you, you got it. Like you can create stuff and make stuff and put it out in the world. And so I think that's the advice I wish. I wish I had a, this lifestyle. I always thought you had to be special to be an entrepreneur. You were born that way. You came from all what we said. And that is such a lie. And you can choose, you can become, you actually can become an entrepreneur. You can become like your own, a boss that like does cool things and, and, and and does things that like make a difference in the world. And I never was told that. So that's the advice I wish I were received. So a little bit in the question. That is a good one. And first actually. So I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find you, how do they do that or take your courses, et cetera? Yeah, my God. I mean, I don't know when this is running, but um, I mean, I have a masterclass running next week, but Instagram is my home. So it's just Patrice at Patrice Pulitzer. Um, my Instagram is there. And then from there, really, like it farms out to my website. And my website is just patricepulsercreative.com. But those are the two main ways. Yes. Thank you so much. I know that people are going to love hearing your journey because you're so honest about like, you know, the the work that sucked, et cetera. Not a lot of people are. They're like, it was great. I'm like, was it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is awesome. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for everybody listening today to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.